A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 230 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends as well as canon, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of our multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman. And with me, like the storms of crate, the EU guru himself, the count of our two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Hey, everybody. Wait, so that means I'm with you like a story that ignores previous continuity? That's aren't you with me like the story group? Oh, 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 yeah. I'm. I, I, I hate to say it, but I've had people on the timeline golds page as I'm putting together summaries, and I mention things that seem more contradictory, that seem to be happening more now. Um, I get to a point where, in commenting on those, people keep talking about how they're losing faith in the story group to keep stuff straight. Almost said a different S word. Keep stuff straight. And I gotta admit, I'm starting to lose my own faith in it. I think their their ability to seed things is great. Their ability to actually keep consistency is waning, and it's 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 troublesome. Like they go and do that entire video recently uh, for Star Wars show about all these little things that were seeded into uh, Last Jedi and how it connected to other things, and that's awesome. But can we maybe keep Ray Sloan's um, rank? the same? Can we maybe have two stories that you purposely use to set up Crate actually reference each other so it doesn't seem like Leia is showing up for the first time in Storms of Crate when she was already there and they had a base there already in Leia, Princess of Alderaan that isn't mentioned at all in the comic? Is there a chance that you could maybe make it all kind of consistent? But alas and alack, maybe not. Well, it's, it's weird because, you know, we've talked about this for a while of like, you know, is the story group in charge of that? No, they're not in charge of that. They're going really loose. They're not giving points to the directors. The directors are, you know, in some aspects, it's like the movie directors have more power than even the story group. Like they're deciding where the story is going and the story group's just reacting to it. It's like we've, we've basically put the directors in the George Luke seat and everyone else is doing what they used to do. Like it's, it's definitely odd in that regard, but I feel like the continuity errors at this point are all very small. They all seem very trivial. Like when I try to point out something really big, there's nothing big. There's no smoking gun as it were, you know? Yeah. It's almost like what's happening is it's the details, you know, the devils and the details and all that and how maybe there's not as much of an eye towards the details and double checking the details as there was before, which could very well mean that it's not even a story group thing. It could be editors at the individual companies who aren't keeping abreast of what's going on with other projects. I know, for instance, that, uh, you know, like Jeremy Barlow, Randy Stradley slash Mick Harrison slash Wells Hartley, right? Same guy, right? Used to be sort of keeping up with these other projects that were going on for Star Wars so that they could look for those contradictions and fix them. And there's still some slip through. And I think the same kind of thing is happening now. It's just... 
I don't know. It just, I, I'm assuming that Marvel takes a much looser approach to it just based on their approach overall, which may be what the issue is because a lot of times it's a comic clashing with something else, but, but not necessarily always. So whatever. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, but we are going to be talking a lot of Marvel this time because uh, we're in part two of the year in review, which means what, Mark? Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or those simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we take that look once again back over the previous year of Star Wars publishing. This episode, like Nathan said, we will be focusing on the comics of 2017, with our next episode being, of course, you know, the games, television, and the uh, films, and the other stuff. So consider this your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentience of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure, Beyond the Films. We'll have to divide this up a little bit because we've got Marvel stuff and there's quite a bit of that. But Marvel Comics can sort of be divided into mini series and then their ongoing series and then the stuff that's just sort of being reprinted by them, whether it's their own stuff or stuff from Dark Horse and even earlier, actually, in some cases, being reprinted again. Then you've got Disney Lucasfilm Press that is actually reprinting some adaptations at this point uh, that originate, I believe, in Brazil. Then you've got IDW that is putting out some hardbacks and putting out their own series, one series as of right now. And then you've got Joe Books, and Joe Books is out there doing those, uh, they call them Cinestory comics, kind of like the uh, the things we got back with Dark Horse where they would take images out of the movies and use that to make a photo comic. It's sort of what Joe Books is doing. So we have several companies all involved here. It's not just Marvel doing Star Wars comics, but they're certainly doing the bulk so that's perhaps a good place to start. So let's look at Marvel miniseries or one-shots at this point. And during 2017, we had, let's see, we had the Darth Maul miniseries, which also got its trade paperback within the year. We had the Captain Phasma miniseries and its trade paperback within the year. We had the Mace Windu Jedi of the Republic miniseries. We had the Rogue One comic adaptation miniseries, and then a Cassian and K2SO special. All of those were then collected into a trade paperback. We had the one-shot The Storms of Crate, and we also had a one-shot called The Screaming Citadel, which set up a crossover in the Star Wars ongoing series and Dr. Aphra series. So, taking a look at these, any particular ones we want to dive into first out of the miniseries, Mark? Well, okay, so with the Captain Phasma, I like the idea that this is the one that tells how she got out of the trash compactor. Like, you know, we, we talk about stories that mean things and aren't throwaway. And I love the fact that this is giving us one of those background pieces that I feel is integral. Unlike the Phasma novel, which should have been a journey to The Force Awakens, you know, whereas this one feels like it's actually bridging the two films. It's giving you that detail that you're kind of like, well, what happened? So I really dig that. Uh, the Darth Maul one, that one, that one's a very interesting little story in and of itself. The Mace Windu one, I haven't had a chance to read yet, but man, I'm interested in that one. Um, you know, I've been getting my digital copies mainly from you. Uh, and so like, I think we've got the first issue of that and I'm waiting. I, with my digital comics, I try not to read them one issue at a time like I do the physicals. I like to wait till I get it all at once and just do a quick binge of it. So I, I haven't got into that one. But that one, I, 
I think I find, and, and, you know, we were just talking about it before this, this whole new era of story group and the way the continuity is working. I'm finding that when it comes to the Jedi, it's a different continuity than what I'm used to with Legends. And so I want to know more about the Jedi in canon, but I feel like the story group is not giving us many details. So I feel like the prequel trilogy is really the place you're going to get any kind of details on Jedi lore or any kind of Force philosophy. So I'm really excited in that regard to get into that story because I want to know more about the Jedi and stuff like that. But it seems like that's not the direction that the canon is going to be moving us forward in the farther aspect of the timeline. Uh, thinking about the uh, the Battlefront 2 game, I was just playing that and there's a little blip on Takodana where it talks about, you know, it was a battleground for the ancient Sith and Jedi during a battle. And I'm like thinking about this. Like, they're slapping that title on every planet, it seems like. But that could get confusing if you tie it down. But as long as they keep the the Old Republic era wide open and they don't tie anything down, you could slap that title on any planet you want because they're never going to tell us the battles. As long as they never tell us about that stuff, they don't have to worry about it conflicting. They could just be like, oh, yeah, there was a battle here. There was a battle there. There was a battle there. There was a hundred year darkness. There was all sorts of stuff in that hundred year darkness. Like they've got this title that they can just throw around and it blanket statements everything in mystery. And on one hand, that's that's exciting because they can do that. But the other hand, like, that's the type of mystery I love those details of. So I'm kind of conflicted there. And I'm definitely hoping that the Mace Windu Jedi of the Republic series can kind of deliver some of that. Definitely not to the depth that I want, but some of that. Uh, the Screaming Citadel, I'm, I'm almost to that point because we're we're in the process of doing our first crossover, one of those episodes down the road this year. So I'm I'm building into that crossover. I'm almost there. Um, so I'm excited to get into that one. But the other one I wanted to mention was the uh, Storms of Crate. One of the things I thought was interesting about this one was that it's written by Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, who have done other works uh, in some of the kids' books and other types of publishing and stuff. So it's kind of interesting to see that they're reusing authors and stuff. So I think that's kind of a cool aspect. You know, we, we want that that interconnectivity and using the authors that have worked on other books and stuff. That's definitely one way you can get it because they, they bring that information that they had. So I think that's kind of a cool aspect, but again, I'm with you in the aspect of if they can't keep that internal character logic working, you know, you got Leia here and this is her second time and there's a base already there. And yet she's not referencing it. It does shake the confidence of some of your long-term fans. And what I mean by that is your long-term fans were into legends in the EU and, and star Wars in general, because it all worked together. It all took itself very seriously. And while we are still taking star Wars serious, it does seem like that pushing things to the background and that not worrying about getting tied down in the small details. That's where I worry about because of that approach that they're going to get caught up in all the tiny details. And granted, like we said, they're all small. They're all very itty bitty tiny little mess ups, but that's also one of the things that killed legends in the first place was all those nicks and dimes and, and little slices, you know, granted Lucas made bigger slashes than what we're getting right now, but a lot of them were very tiny itty bitty things. You know, Ryloth was turning one minute now in a, in a cartoon show. It's not, that doesn't seem like it's a major thing until you write a book saying it's always been like that. And then you're like, Oh, well now we got a bigger issue. And it seemed like that was the thing that legends did before was when they would do the retcon. Sometimes it would create bigger issues in the process of fixing it. So I don't want to get to an era like that in our new stuff. I'm hoping that that's something that won't continue. And I don't know, maybe these mini series, maybe that's the way to go to not have to worry about it. But there's a part of me that 
I, I worry about that because that's Marvel's flaw. You know, you look at what they do with their Spider-Man series and stuff. They get these great series going and then they start putting out these mini series, which seem great. Except for if you're following like the amazing Spider-Man and all of a sudden Venom Inc. comes out and you want to know what's going on with Pete. Well, heck, you got to follow that other one because they have literally shifted the main story into that other comic and then back again in the hopes that you're going to buy it. And more often than not, I follow that damn trail because I want to know. And so I, I'm i like, man, they got me. They got me by the story balls, man. They know I'm going to go with it. Hashtag it's all connected. Hashtag just kidding. Hashtag story balls. <laughs> wow. Okay. Taking a look at these. Uh, I have read through all of them. The Darth Maul miniseries, I found completely forgettable. I mean, it's just, it's there, right? It's Darth Maul is anxious about wanting to have revenge and wanting to go up against a Jedi. Sidious hasn't let him. So he finds out that the Jedi has been captured and he wants to go get his hands on this Jedi and basically fight her and kill her and prove himself and somehow sate that hunger. And along the way, winds up working with Cad Bane and his crew. Completely forgettable, means nothing in the grand scheme of things, might as well press the reset button when it's over. So is this kind of like Shadowhunter then, in in the aspect of it takes place before episode one? I mean, where is this? Okay. It is taking place before episode one, but I would argue that Shadowhunter at least has a little bit more of an impact on its continuity because it set up the Pavan family, Jackson, all that we would see later. Uh, Captain Phasma miniseries I actually thought was pretty cool. I dig the artwork in it. I like the fact that it's telling us how she gets out of the trash compactor, what she does next. I feel like it did a lot more for Phasma than the Phasma novel did. Like, the Phasma novel basically is, she is from a Lord of the Flies meets Star Wars meets Mad Max kind of world. Ooh, she's a a harsh fighter and she's cruel and she's kind of a a do-whatever-it-takes type of person. Ooh, yeah, don't really care, right? That doesn't really feel like it added much. And the book was a slog. Whereas in this case... It's fairly fast moving, but we still get to see all of her conniving, self-centered stuff, and I'm going to do what's best for me at the expense of everyone else. And it sort of sets up how duplicitous she is as she comes back, reports into Hux, and they get back into basically heading in through the events of The Last Jedi, right? Because it would have to cross over at least a little bit with the beginning of the events of The Last Jedi. Maybe this is why Phasma doesn't show up until Finn and Rose are caught aboard the Supremacy. Because, well, ta-da, this is where she was. Because certainly, if the films kind of dovetail into each other, in fact, I think there's a little bit of overlap at the beginning, is what I would argue, that this would have to be taking place around the same time. So I thought this one actually worked fairly well. Uh, Mace Windu, Jedi of the Republic, it has some interesting moral questions about the Jedi, but it's questions that have been asked a million times before, mainly in Legends. Should the Jedi be fighting? Are they keepers of peace if they're out there fighting a war, etc., etc.? Yeah, we're hearing it now in canon, and we haven't heard that argument as much in canon before, but we certainly have. But it's an idea that was beaten to death between about 2002 and 2008 in the original take on the Clone Wars that Legends did. So in that sense... It didn't feel very compelling, and my god, the artwork in this comic. It's like everybody's made of mashed potatoes. (laughs) It's like they basically said, hey, we're going to make a story about Mace Windu. What does Mace Windu look like? Asked the artist. Well, he's a generic bald black dude. Gotcha! I'll draw a generic bald black dude that looks nothing like Samuel L. Jackson every time we see him. The artwork is horrible. 
in this series, um, relative to the other st- series that we see, at least. And, I mean, it's got a nice twist partway through, but it feels like just a generic Clone Wars story until you get to that twist. And even once you get to the twist, it's a twist where you're like, yeah, we've heard this conversation before, you know? Um, so, not one that I would necessarily recommend. I mean, it's not bad, except the artwork, but it just doesn't feel like it's one that really jumps out to me. Uh, the Rogue One adaptation was pretty good. It had some new scenes added into it, which was nice, although not many of them. And then... Uh, the Cassian and K2SO special was cool because it explains how K2SO winds up basically joining the rebellion and working alongside Cassian. Though it'd be nice if they had pinned it down chronologically as to exactly when that takes place, but apparently that's way too much to ask these days. Storms of Crate, it would have been a story that I probably would have enjoyed more had I not been sitting there thinking the entire time, how is this going to connect to or uh, reflect what we saw in Leia, Princess of Alderaan? Where's the connection? When is it going to be mentioned? Et cetera, et cetera. And you get to the end of the story and it plays out as if Leia's time on crate in Leia, Princess of Alderaan never happened. And that irked me. And the fact that this is Acker and Blacker is both cool because yet someone crossing over from books from Disney Lucasfilm Press into comics from Marvel. Uh, they also do some stories later in Star Wars Avengers for IDW. But this is the duo that gave us the incredible farting wedding, too. So there's a part of me that says we got to be careful when these guys show up writing something because you never quite know how it's going to fit with everything else and how much research they've actually done. Uh, Screaming Citadel that set up the crossover. I'll say that I liked the Screaming Citadel crossover much more than I liked Vader Down. It felt like it was more um, dynamic and more twists and turns and kind of a weird Halloween horror type special to some degree, so to speak. And Screaming Citadel sets that up pretty well. But part of that also could just be the fact that that was a Star Wars and Afro crossover instead of a Star Wars and Vader crossover. And that just gave it some interesting dynamics. I always like to see Afra bouncing off characters, especially when we have Afra here bouncing off of Luke, who is younger than she is. And therefore, she can kind of look at him as the naive child, you know, and he looks at her as surely she's not as cracked as as she appears to be and as twisted as she appears to be. Oh, crap. Yes, she is. So so is it Princess of Alderaan that doesn't fit with Storms of Krayat and The Last Jedi? Because it seems like the Holdo aspect of Princess of Alderaan wasn't ran with in The Last Jedi when we get to Holdo. She doesn't have that eccentricness. And then we've got this going on with Leia being on crate. It's almost like that book was the forgotten story in this case, right? Could be. I mean, it just depends on the way to look at it. My guess is they were probably both in production at the same time. Both had been given the permission to do something with crate, and they just kind of ran with it. But it would have been nice to even have a couple of lines added into Storms of Crate saying, like, there was a small base, but we can't use it. Or here's where it was. But it makes it sound like Leia has heard of this place and never been there, if I remember correctly. It's been a while since I read it, like, right on the day it came out. But it just, it doesn't feel like it connects the way that it should. They both feel like they are dovetailing into... The Last Jedi, but I fear that we're starting to get into the territory of the bounty hunter I ran into at Ord Mantell. Okay, now everybody wants to tell that freaking story. Yeah. Yeah, go with the safe story. Yeah, it's it's up. It's up. You set him up, we'll knock it down. <laughs> that would make sense, though, to have Leia do a thought bubble where she's like, well, there is that other base, but I want to keep that a secret for another day in case we really need it. <laughs> Something like that. So... Yeah, so the miniseries and the one-shots are really kind of hit or miss this year. I would say Captain Phasma is the one to check out. 
if you haven't checked out anything else. And then Screaming Citadel you'll need to check out if you're following the main series. Speaking of the main series, we had several actually going on at this point this year. Or I guess last year now. We had uh, Poe Dameron, Dr. Aphra, Star Wars. A new Darth Vader series technically called Darth Vader Dark Lord of the Sith. Although that larger title has never appeared on any of the issues yet. And then we had the Screaming Citadel crossover, which was sort of a series. It was part of Star Wars and part of Dr. Aphra. And then we saw some things collected here. So with Poe Dameron, we got the first annual for Poe Dameron. And for some reason, they're not giving the annual story titles. So it's just like annual number one, annual number two. Be nice if they actually gave them story titles. Uh, we saw the end of the story, The Gathering Storm, which was another of those kind of issues. Because if you may recall, The Gathering Storm had an issue called The Gathering Storm, and then you started out another arc with The Gathering Storm Part 1. And then when they were collected, I think they were collected in reverse order. So just, yeah, Gathering Storm was odd. That finally wrapped up, at least, and got a trade paperback. We got the story Legend Lost, which got a trade paperback. We got the Tale War stories. And then we also have the beginning, but not the ending yet, of the story Legend Found, which I believe is the last of the arcs. So what'd you think for Poe Dameron this year in this series that is continuing from uh, previous coverage that we've had uh, of last year's Year in Review? You know, Poe seems to be the strongest of all the lines out there. And so now, correct me if I'm wrong, beginning of Legend Found, Legend Found, that's the end of this ongoing series, right? Or... Have they not actually said that it's ending yet? This one's still going on, or do we know that there is an end in sight? I believe this is where the end is finally in sight. Okay, well, that's, you know, hats off in that aspect, though. I mean, it was a bold story to do a prequel or a, a lead up like they did and then stretch it out like they did. Cause I remember when this, when this was pitched, we were thinking like, it's going to be a mini series like the rest, you know, and then it just kept going and kept going. And it was like, Whoa, I thought this was like the mission before, not the missions before. So, you know, that was an interesting aspect. One thing I'm not happy with though, is the annuals. And I mean, this goes with all of them. I do not like how Marvel does their damn annuals. Uh, you know, when you get them, typically it seems like they're when in the, uh, in the digital realm, they're in their own little slot. They're not with the story arc all the time. It kind of, it depends on which series it is. So it doesn't quite always fit in. And yet then there's somewhere, bam, it's right in the middle. I believe the Poe Dameron one, it's like, between like 15 and 16 or something like that where it's put in there but if it wasn't for that digital app i would have no clue so when it comes to the physical collecting and stuff those annuals just drive me freaking nuts it's like can't we just just what is the point of a damn annual like i i don't get that i guess like <laughs> sometimes it's a throwaway story that i guess makes sense but when it's part of the story and yet it's off on its own like i don't get it so that that that's my issue with annuals i guess but poe i think poe's a, a decent story i kind of i want I want the next story to be after The Force Awakens, though, which I don't know if you can do that because of that overlap that you said. Like, like maybe we could do something that puts us more in the head of Poe. Uh, the Last Jedi really, it really pushed this character. You know, we, we watched Poe fail in that movie to a degree. I want to keep this as spoiler free for those of you that haven't listened to our spoiler review and, and haven't seen the movie yet, which you should go see it if you haven't. Uh, but 
that's something I want to see develop with this character more. Um, maybe even give us a series after The Last Jedi that really focuses on that and what he learned in The Last Jedi. Like, I think that that's one of the things about this character that I would really dig. I, I felt like The Last Jedi really pushed him to basically be the new, uh, Admiral Akbar in a sense for the New Republic. You know, a, a big strong leader. Like, I, I have a feeling like Poe is going to be like the next Leia kind of thing. Like, he is going to be a big leader down the road of the military. Uh, and I would love to see something like that. I feel like this has done something to, to make us like him, but I want something to push us farther into that encampment. Like I'm really getting a kick out of these characters, the new characters in the new canon. So the Poe Dameron comic is definitely one of my highlights in that regard. Hashtag damn annuals. I thought this was a pretty good series. I mean, it's, it's one of those that sort of annoyed me at first until I finally was just able to throw up my hands and say, okay, my give up. My give up. Because remember, we had the book before The Awakening. And before The Awakening is supposed to be giving us the lead-up with Poe of how he joins the Resistance, and then his lead-up into how they find information about Loris Santeca, etc., etc., leading basically into the events of The Force Awakens. And then they had like a little bitty gap of time in there that they shoehorned open and then peeled apart and have put this entire series into it, spreading out the time span of Before the Awakening far beyond what it seems like the intent was of Before the Awakening. You know what I mean? It'd be like if you had a segment... I mean, it's kind of like what what uh, Karen Travis tried to do with Revenge of the Sith, right? She had her story she wanted to tell, so in Order 66, she laid out the events of things going on over a span of X number of days that don't even remotely match the days that every single other source said happened for Revenge of the Sith and the time span that the film um, required, basically. And she was trying to sort of peel it apart and slap more stuff in there that didn't really match the dates on everything else. So here... They're sort of doing that with the Poe Dameron series, but it's almost like, except for a quick reference very early on in the series, they're like, yeah, screw Before the Awakening. We're going to do our own thing, which is sort of fine, but at the same time, it, I mean, because at least they reference it at the beginning, but it certainly doesn't seem like it fit the original intent of Before the Awakening at all. But now that we're into another year of this, I thought that in particular War Stories was pretty cool in the sense that we got to see other characters take the forefront, Surilinda. Uh, and some of the other pilots, Jess Pava, for instance, I think Kari Kun is on the mission. And the idea of, in order to get support, you need to show, not tell. Essentially, don't keep telling people how bad the First Order is. Actually show them the First Order doing these horrible things to bring things to light. I thought that was a smart idea. That's something you see with real-world uh, media and in times of war. And the fact that now we've got Legend Lost, or excuse me, Legend Found, which is a nice play on the titles... Um, that brings in Leia uh, a little bit more and is giving us basically them reaching Lor Santeca and sort of starting the ball rolling towards exactly what we're going to see at the beginning of The Force Awakens. I think that that works well, but it took us a while to get there at this point. And unfortunately, it's in the Legend Found arc where we see that clash with the incredible farting wedding from Escape from Vodrin. So again, probably two stories working around the same time. One that's going to show Kari and Snap split up, at least temporarily. Maybe they'll get back together, but see them split up without ever having gotten married, apparently. And a story in which they basically get married at the Incredible Farting Wedding. And just how those two just do not really jive well with each other at this point. We're going to find out that the Incredible Farting Wedding is all Snap's dream. <laughs> or maybe it was that the kids were 
joking around or something. I don't know. But just looking at the Poe Dameron series and the development of the character of Poe, I think it works fairly well with The Last Jedi because he does have to be reprimanded for certain things. He does have to be kind of put back on track. But I'm not sure that he was quite as obstinate as he was in The Last Jedi up to that point. Um, that he had, he had felt like he'd sort of made at least a little bit more progress. But that said, in the film, they only have a few quick moments of conversation about him being reckless or needing to learn to, you know, preserve the lives instead of going after the target kind of stuff before everything kind of goes to hell in a handbasket. You wind up with Holdo in charge, in which case then he's sort of, you know, kicking into high gear on you know, I need to know what's going on. I need, I need, I need, I need that sort of thing based on, I guess, the sort of the trauma of what was what had just happened. So in that sense, it works well to lead into that character. Thankfully, he didn't become, you know, the polished everything's great about him kind of leader by the end of the comic series, because then there would have been a real bit of confusion as to how does that character become the one we see in The Last Jedi. But they, for the most part, fit well together. The next ongoing series we want to look at, Dr. Afra. The Dr. Afra ongoing series had its first annual. Its first arc, called Afra, concluded. It's where we learned that her name is Chelly Lona Afra, by the way, instead of just Afra, and her first name is not Doctor. And uh, so that got a trade paperback. We got The Enormous Prophet, which is the second arc, which at one point was referred to as Dr. Afra and The Enormous Prophet, kind of a play on Indiana Jones and the whatever. And we have the beginning of a new arc, that's still going right now, entitled Remastered, which is kind of a play on words because it's not so much remastered as in what we think of as remastered, like now it looks prettier and sounds better, but remastered as in she has a new master at this point. This one's a favorite of mine. Uh, Mark, uh, how far did you get into Dr. Afra, and what did you think of the Afra arcs as we got into this? And it's not even really a second full year of it because she didn't really get a full year previously, so the second year or the first full year of Afra. Yeah, I always say second year in the aspect of like she was introduced in Vader and we, f- we fell for her then. Um, and I- I'm with you. Like I really, I'm digging the comic. I'm digging this character. I think this is my favorite expanded character, uh, as you would put it, a character that came just from the comics and the books that hasn't been in any other type of media or film. Uh, you know, the films being more canon, I would say, than anything else. So until that happens, there's a lot of people out there that will probably still pretend she doesn't exist. And I think she needs to exist. So I, I would love to see her maybe dabble as a background character in maybe the right time frame. I don't know where Han Solo might put her, but maybe put her in the back of Han Solo or something. Oh, I would kill for it. Um, this character is just fun all the way around. So this is an arc that I'm getting a kick out of because it delivers on so many different levels. It's got morbid humor. It's got funny humor. It's got a character that I want to follow. I'm interested in. And yet there's also the Vader angle. I mean, there's, there's how she's working for Vader as well as what's going on with, you know, is Vader going to get caught by Palpatine? And she's in the middle of all this, the, the intrigue of it. Like this series to me, this one's got a lot of payoff. And I'm, I don't know. For me, I, I think it's the, the two other droids, the, uh, triple zero and, uh, the BT that they, they just make this, this great 
collective team that feels like the antithesis of Luke, R2, and 3PO. Like, <laughs> there's just something about it. It's like, it's like Leia having all of Luke's coolness and being as, you know, in the forefront as Leia gets, but with the hands-on aspect that Luke tends to do. And yet you've got her just being a smart ass all the way through it. And I just, I, I love it. It's kind of like she's like the epiphany of the big three that I remember from Legends all wrapped up in one. So yeah, this is one of my favorite characters of this new continuity so far. Uh, the first annual did a good job of introducing Black Kersantan's background. Finally, we've got a little bit more of the character's origins. We've got the setup for Screaming Citadel with all the stuff with the Ruhr Crystal and all that that we see in the Afro Arc and the Enormous Prophet. We have Screaming Citadel, which I didn't even mention as as part of this, but it is part of it this year, which gives us some payoffs for the Ruhr Crystal stuff. And Remastered started off pretty strongly. So it's definitely nice to see her sort of on her own and getting a chance to really shine in this series. Although they still haven't quite figured out apparently how to draw her because she seems to keep shifting ethnicities from time to time depending on which of the arcs we're reading and which artist is involved. Uh, I will say, though, it's interesting to me how well people have taken to this character because you look at... Let's say from a certain point of view, oh my god, Akmina, B. Arthur's character from the holiday special, is a lesbian. Oh my goodness, here's this gay character introduced over here. Could it be the first gay Star Wars character on screen? And all this kind of stuff. All this controversy boiling out. Here's Afra, who is either bisexual or lesbian, who has had a relationship we already know with Sana Staros, who was originally introduced as Sana Solo, and in the remastered arc, she's outright flirting with and getting the attention of the Imperial officer that we met back in the original Afra arc, and nobody's batting an eye. It is the most integrated into the character that we've seen a non-heterosexual uh, sexual orientation, where it's driving actions and conversations, not... Oh, hey, look, here's a gay character. That's how you do that kind of representation. We've talked about this before, that if you're going to do representation, it needs to be something that's integral to the character that makes sense in context, and it's not just slapped on as a label. And even more so than Sinjir, and I think Sinjir in the Aftermath books um, did that very well. Here's Afra, and there's no controversy about it at all, because people are seeing it as this is the character, not... This is a label or a, or a feature you've added to this character specifically for the purposes of whatever. Uh, and, and it's interesting. I think it shows how well Afra's been received, but also how well she's being written right now. That you don't get that kind of controversy that you get out of any other time you see basically non-heterosexual characters showing up in Star Wars. And here we go. You know, here's Afra, who is one of the most blatant examples of a non-heterosexual character and... She's just treated like any other character, which is, I would argue, how it is should, how it should be. And yeah, she's a very beloved character. You know, the fact that she showed up and from a certain point of view blew people's minds and a lot of people said it was one of their favorite stories in it. So kudos to the Afra team for getting it right when it comes to ways to address types of representation, along with just getting it right of having an interesting character. Well, and, and you circle around something there that I was thinking too is, is the main aspect here is her and Sinjir were created that way. It wasn't like the B. Arthur character or other characters or like the, uh, 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 
CKT421 or whatever the hell his, his number is, him him doing his thing with the officer and stuff, that, that's where it does feel like they're just slapping it on there. And then you've got people that come at it from, oh, they're just doing that to add diversity for diversity's sake. You know, this is actual true diversity, what you're getting with Afra. And, and, and I mean, we, we talked about, you know, her being Asian, you know, what's Asian when you don't know what nation looks like. That's brilliant the way they've done it. I mean, you know, here she is, she's there, she's representing and she, nobody noticed. No, there was no head whipping around or anything like that. I mean, here is the perfect example of how they should do it. You know, don't give us a character and then wait three or four stories. Oh, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, they happen to swing that direction. Like that doesn't necessarily feel as fluid or natural. But when you introduce the character like they've done it with this and they get it out there right away, you know, you can accept it. Think about even with Legends where we had, uh, Bevan, you know, Bevan was a gay Mandalorian. Nobody cared about that. We thought it was awesome. Why? Because they just, Travis just threw him right in and it was like nobody even bat an eye twice about it. And I think, I think that's the main thing. It's, it's when you take it and you add it as a trait to a pre-existing character to shake things up. You know, I, I think our fandom is kind of just over the shock and awe like that. Like make it natural, make it something that just flows and we're going to eat it up. We're going to love it. It won't be so controversial. I'm hearing no controversy over this character. I think that the biggest controversy is the fact that the fans that like the character and even myself have said before, you know, the, there's no Asians in Star Wars, you know, that, that blanket statement. And that statement is the thing that will tick other fans off. You know, I mean, that's about the only controversy that comes up with this character. Amen. Which brings us to the next of the ongoing series, the original ongoing series for Marvel, which is just entitled Star Wars. This series got its third annual this year. The conclusion of the story arc Yoda's Secret War and the trade paperback for it. And then we saw sort of a weird arc. Uh, we, well, of course, we did see Screamy Citadel. I gotta mention that. We saw Screamy Citadel, but we're gonna deal with that as sort of a separate item here. But they had an arc that when collected in trade paperback form was entitled Out Among the Stars. But it contained a bunch of sort of one-shot stories for the most part entitled Rebels in the Wild, The Thirteen Crates, The Hut Run, Revenge of the Astromech, Imperial Pride, uh, as part of that story, and then once that was finally done, that led us into a new arc that is not yet finished called Ashes of Jeddah. So, Star Wars The Ongoing Series, what'd you think this year? This series is one that I'm excited about. I've always been excited for it. What, what I'm curious about, though, is did we have 100 variants this year like we did the first one, or did they just save that for the first issue? <laughs> um, I think the thing about this that gets me most excited is the way that these cross over without crossing over, I mean, we got to the first crossover. It didn't feel like a crossover because of the fact that, that Marvel and the nature of how they write their stuff, you know, it's a shared universe just like it should be. And so this series is taking place when the Vader series is taking place and we would have characters show up from one and disappear and bam, they're in the other. I thought that was really cool. I love the way that those two play back and forth like that. I think for me, the hardest part I'm having with this one is that when it comes to the new canon, I really am not a fan of Han, Luke, and Leia anymore. Since Disney has bought over and Lucasfilm is now running it in Lucas's stead, the big three story and the direction they've taken their backstory, you know, not you take from The Last Jedi move back, I'm not a fan of what they've done with that. Uh, just with them. I, I, I like everything else. I'm, I'm down on all the rest. It's just those guys. I'm not... My interest for them has, has waned. Whereas with Legends, that was, that was my bread and butter. I wanted to know what was going on currently with Luke and Han and that kind of stuff. Um, so in that regard, 
I I care less about this one because of who the characters are the focus of. I don't feel like we're going to get anything major, anything shocking for these characters. I feel like they're going to play it continuity light uh, in that regard. Uh, so there's no drive when this one comes out to be like, oh, I got like, whereas the Darth Vader one, we get to that one. Like I, that one, I'm really digging. Uh, it's taken a turn that's got me just, it's wet my whistle in a way that I hope that this one will eventually do as we get more into Luke kind of like seeking out Jedi relics and stuff and kind of taking that journey. I'm, I'm hoping we're going to get that journey. That's the aspect right now. That's the only aspect with the big three that I want to know more about. I want to know more about Luke's new Jedi order. Um, uh, you know, I've always been a new Jedi order fan in legends and these are totally different Jedi orders. Uh, this would be more like Jedi Academy. Uh, from Legends kind of thing. You know, you're not getting a full nine book type story. You're getting a three book series. This is going to be a small short story. And I, the nature of how they're telling the film story and, and the heart of what's going on with Luke and Ben and that story, I don't think we're going to get that story for a long time out still, as much as I would love to have that story. So that's like the one that I'm really craving. And right now, this series isn't delivering that. So my interest in it isn't as high as I would have hoped it would have been. Yeah, I'd say out of all the different Marvel series this year, at least for the ongoing series, this is the one that has me the most meh. You know, it's just one of those series that it has potential, but what are you going to do with those characters in this time period, given that there's a lot of stuff that just you can't do with them because we already know where they're going to end up by The Empire Strikes Back and so forth, and we're still in some undetermined time, probably in the first year or so after A New Hope. It's just one of those ones that, you know, it feels like it's very restricted in what it can do. Uh, I found the third annual was meh, you know, like the rest of the annuals so far. Yoda's Secret War, I'm so glad to see that concluded. Not because I was eager for the ending, but oh my god, it needed to end. Yoda's Secret War was absolutely awful. Uh, one of the worst comic arcs we've seen from Marvel since the relaunch. Wow. Worse than Wookiee? You're talking about the Chewbacca miniseries? Yeah, the Chewbacca. The Chewbacca miniseries was better than Yoda's Secret War. Oh, yes. crap! Yes, the Chewbacca series, <laughs> I would reread multiple times before Yoda's Secret War. Because Yoda's Secret War was, oh. let's go to this backwater primitive world and use some different terminology for the Force. And look, it's little stones that have some kind of Force connection. And oh, look, rock giants, etc., etc. And it's all done in such a way that it, that Luke's reading it from Obi-Wan's journal. But never once does Obi-Wan mention Yoda's name. So Luke can't know this about J Yoda's background and ask him about it when he meets Yoda, etc. It's just, God, it's, it's just bad. So, so really quick, I want to, I want to shift on that journal since, since you brought it up. So... In Legends, when Luke gets this journal, this journal has notes and stuff from Kenobi. It's where Luke finds out the diagram for a lightsaber. It's where he's able to come up and create the synthetic crystal for his green lightsaber. Yet, when we get that now, that's not the case. There's a scene in the comic where Luke's flat out complaining about how it's nothing but like old stories. There is no details in it. He feels like it's a dead end, and I'm like... Okay, so that's that's out now. Like that was an interesting shift. Like you've got this journal, you could have carried that arc of Ben left all these secrets for Luke for how to build the lightsaber and that stuff. And no, they threw that all away. Did, did you find that was like a, a lost potential or dropped the ball, or do you think maybe they're doing something different in that regard? And we're going to get a whole new backstory for that lightsaber. I figure we're going to get something different eventually. 
Um, but yeah, it does feel as though it's a little bit different than the approach that was taken previously to anything that, that Ben left behind for Luke, that now it's basically just a vehicle for flashback stories. And that's pretty much it. Uh, and some of the flashback stories have been all right. And then we got Yoda's Secret War, which was bad, which was terrible. Which the title sounds awesome. Oh, yeah. The, the title makes it sound fantastic. And they're like, oh, my God, he's going to be reading an untold story of Yoda. And then it turns out that it's like, yeah, it's a re- there's a reason it was an untold story because nobody wants to tell it because it sucks. But, yes, we got that arc concluded and the trade paperback with it. Um, so that was meh for me, meh at best. The whole Out Among the Stars thing, these individual stories that ended with sort of a brief glimpse at the next story that sort of took place a little bit into the next story. So you have to kind of interweave and they kind of interlink like a chain. Some of them were all right. Some of them kind of had you shaking here like 13. None of them were stories you needed to know, really. But uh, 13 crates was OK. Revenge of the Astromech was basically the, the saving of C-3PO after the last flight of the Harbinger arc. OK. So he's basically captured, but not a whole lot happened with it at that point. Hut Run had some good moments. Imperial Pride had a couple good moments. But it's Rebels in the Wild that leaves me sort of scratching my head, because this is Luke and Leia stranded on a deserted planet, or what they think is a deserted planet. And the question of will they ever be able to to get off the planet, they must find a way to survive. Are they just stranded here forever, basically? And given how long the story lasts, I have to sit back and wonder, so like... I know that they kiss in The Empire Strikes Back, but given that they were all alone and desperate and thinking that they weren't ever going to see any other sentient beings again, doesn't it seem odd that maybe they didn't, like, something-something while they were there on the planet? You know, like, maybe later, whenever he finds out that Leia's his sister, that shocked look is less because of the kiss and more because of something else, perhaps? Uh, Or is it just admirable restraint? on both of their parts at this point, because this is shortly after A New Hope. Leia's got the flirtation and leaning towards Han, but hasn't actually fallen fully into that camp yet, it seems. So, yeah, I don't know. I just, I find that it, it strains credulity, the idea of you have two human beings who tend to like each other, who now think that they are stranded and they're the only people they will ever be able to see and they're probably never going to be rescued. Boy they are probably going to do something. But apparently not. It's okay. And I guess they don't do anything because this isn't a young adult novel from Disney Lucasfilm Press. This is a comic. (laughs) But but we're guys and we're like, we know where Luke's mind is at this point. And there is no way he's not thinking about something naughty with his sister that he doesn't know is his sister. Oh, good Lord, Lucas. You've set us up for some real bad stuff. Unless every every time he's thinking about it, the force comes up with some way to block him, you know, like, like, like he's sitting there like, great. gee, she looks pretty hot today. I'm kind of wondering. And then the force is like, remember the burned bodies of your aunt and uncle or something. Or, or blue milk spills all over his life. No, I'd be down for force blocking. I think that would be great. Uh, so, yes, yes. Force blocking as opposed to or, some other kind of or blocking. R2. R2 comes up and starts weeping at him like, damn, what are you doing? No, no, I can't tell you the truth. That'd be too easy. Just, no, just, just, just don't. Trust just me, don't. the X-Wing's about to blow up. We got to come over here. The X-Wing's fine, R2. Trust me, it's going to blow up. I'm, I'm, he's all tweaking something. Look, right there, it's sparking. Fix it. What is Astromech for dude? Watch out, she has space herpes. <laughs> just, just wondering. Um, anyway, <laughs> okay, we're a little far afield on that one. Um, Ashes of Jeddah. 
the idea that this is post-Rogue One, of course, because it's post-A-New Hope, Leia, Luke, Han, and the team basically wind up uh, on Jeddah. Uh, they, they wind up on the planet and on the moon, Jeddah. And they wind up basically seeing the devastation that was wrought by uh, the Death Star. It winds up tying into the show Turin War story arc from the original Darth Vader series because you have the, the queen from that series coming back and Luke sort of tempted towards the dark side. It's been a solid story. It's the best one we got this year, but that is, as I always say, valedictorian of summer school type of situation. But it gets to a point, though, where it seems like it kind of goes off the rails and it gets a little more towards the ethereal, esoteric kind of stuff and doesn't really quite grab me as much. It sort of peters out a little bit towards about the middle because we're still not quite at the end yet, though I think we're very close to the end by now. But... I mean, yeah, it was the best one so far this year, but that doesn't mean a whole lot. I know Ashes of Jeddah was interesting in the aspect of, of seeing the aftermath of what happened to that planet. Like, I wasn't expecting that much of it to be destroyed. And you and the Imperial rationale, right, which is basically, um, you know, oh, there's all these refugees. Right now, we need to be making sure that we don't actually kill them all, even though that'd be easier. So why don't we just declare the entire area an off-limit zone? Oh, they're still there? kill them all. They're all they're all criminals anyway. Oh, they had no way to leave? That's their problem. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. They're still trespassing in the wrong area so we can wipe them out. Kind of the the way that the empire is able to twist its own regulations to allow for atrocities. That leads us into a new series for Darth Vader. Darth Vader Dark Lord of the Sith. Again, though Darth Lord of the Sith is nowhere in the title on any of the actual issues. And in this case, we got the story, The Chosen One, which is basically the story of Vader very soon after Revenge of the Sith, how he eventually gets his uh, red lightsaber and so forth. And then we have the beginning, at least, of a story arc that has actually just wrapped up in 2018 called The Dying Light, which deals with the introduction of the Inquisitors, the training of the Inquisitors, and uh, Jocasta News' role in basically setting up the information that will eventually be able to be used by Luke to help him set up uh, his Jedi training temple uh, after Return of the Jedi. So uh, this one, to me, was one of the stronger ones. In fact, I would say probably the strongest of the year, even more so than Afra, though Afra had so much more that it, it kind of vacillates for me between those two, which one was the strongest. But certainly the new Darth Vader series puts the old Darth Vader series to shame. No, I, I'm in the same. This one for me is my, is my top. When we get to the top three of 2017, this one definitely is mine. Um, yeah, and you mentioned Vader getting the new lightsaber. What I find interesting is we see him get the lightsaber and yet he still hasn't corrupted the crystal. I, I like, I'm, I'm still waiting for that. Like, I can't wait to see how he goes through that process and when he eventually changes the hilt because he's still using the other Jedi's hilt. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, I also like the fact that Jocasta knew is basically, the new canon version of the Chunther. Uh, in Legends, Luke went to Dathomir, found the wrecked Jedi training temple ship, the Chunther, that had crashed onto Dathomir centuries ago or a hundred years ago or something like that. And the Night Sisters had, when it crashed, basically kidnapped the entire 
Jedi Padawans and the temple guards and the masters that were on there and wouldn't let them out. Yoda had to basically come to the planet and negotiate terms with the Night Sisters to get the Jedi off the planet and they had to leave the ship behind. So when Luke comes later to the planet, that ship and all the information, so that was the heart of where he got all his training doctrine was from that. So in a sense, Jocasta New is basically that new vessel for Luke. So I, I think that's kind of a really cool aspect. Uh, it's a character that I really didn't care for in the prequel trilogy, but this has made me go back and, what well, if it does, if it's not in the archives, it just doesn't exist. Like I am really getting a kick out of her more now than I ever had before because of this one series. Uh, the scene where her and the first, uh, the, uh, not first, the, uh, the Grand Inquisitor, where she's all like, just, just go on without your mission. And he's doing something and she just like can't take it. She just jumps off the desk and lights up her lightsaber. I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> like she's only botching it, but I'm loving the fact that it plays well with her character. Um, and, and, and I think that for me is the aspect of her that I'm really getting a kick out of. But yeah, hands down, this Vader arc is, this is my jam, man. I'm really getting a kick out of it all the way around. Um, I'm digging this Vader. Uh, and Vader's a hit or miss. You know, there's so many aspects because Vader doesn't change, right? I mean, there's very little of Vader that changes. His costume's the same. You know, he goes into a battle. They'll knock chunks of the armor off. So he looks badass. And then, hey, the mission's over. He's back in his full suit again. So really, in a sense, it's kind of like Luke's penchant whining. Like you, you judge where Luke's at based on how much he's whining or not. So like with Luke, it's like, where is, or I mean, with Vader, it's where is he at when it comes to his, his scheming against Palpatine and where he's trying to build his power base? Like, you know, like where that falls into things, it's kind of like where my interest in Vader falls into. And so like right now, like this is the early Vader where he's kind of like kind of, he's just a simple man trying to make his way in the galaxy and the galaxy's all dark side now. So like, I, I, I like this Vader more so than when we get to later, like Rogue One Vader, where Vader's kind of just accepted his fate and he hasn't ran into Luke yet. And Luke's, you know, puts out that, Hey, you know, there's still light in you. And Vader starts to rethink things. Like in Rogue One, Vader's full on, he's just full on evil. He's committed to all of it. And like, I don't find that Vader is interesting. While he's more badass than any other Vader, I like the Vader that's still scheming on ways to take down Palpatine and Palpatine's kind of scheming on Vader to test him and tempt him and constantly throwing all these lackeys at him and stuff. Like, I, I don't know. I really get a kick out of that era of Vader. So this one's definitely, it's definitely one of my high points right now. Yeah. It's a very solid series. Seeing him, seeing sort of the transformation mentally of what's happening with him, like he's changed in Revenge of the Sith, but he's still going through the process of adjusting, getting his mind right, so to speak. Getting away from the whole, you know, I'm more powerful than the Emperor, I can overthrow him, to being the subservient one and so forth. Uh, very cool development to see. It was interesting to see Jocasta New back, and there's a couple instances in that arc. And I believe actually the last, uh, some of the ones that I, that stand out in my mind are actually from the issues released in very early January of 2018. But we have stuff that's interesting but kind of weird, that works but then kind of has you scratching your head. Like the idea, you know, if it's not in our archives, it doesn't exist. As you said, it's more like if it's not in our archives, I probably have it in my secret room over here to pretend that it doesn't exist and protect you from it. Um, because she has kind of like her secret little library. You get the droid in there that's able to somehow check a uh, bio sign readings that's able to recognize Vader as Anakin. And that's one of the things you don't really get to see much in Legends is this idea of anybody actually realizing, at least from the other side, uh, realizing that Vader is Anakin, 
who might be able to do something about it or might have known Anakin at some point. You don't see that nearly as much. Whereas here, we have sort of the door opening, at least briefly, to this idea. And you've got some hefty means by which he goes to make sure that nobody can uh, learn the truth, as we see in the latter issues. Although, the, the one thing that I do find kind of like a, huh? I guess two things about this. One is the one that you mentioned, her get off my books kind of thing where she attacks. Um, Jocasta New is an idiot, basically. Jocasta New puts the future of the Jedi Order at risk to protect the books. And I understand that she's the Jedi librarian. This means a ton to her. But the Jedi Order should mean more. And instead, she risks it all like an idiot. And at one point, she is fighting with a gun powered by a lightsaber. It is a lightsaber blaster kind of thing to the point where um, it even, it like it melts the lightsaber inside it when it's overused. And while that's an interesting concept, it also seemed a little bit strange. The people who griped about the idea of Ezra having a blaster slash lightsaber should look at this one because this one took it even farther. So that kind of left me going, huh. And as for, I mean, the fact that Jocasta knew was alive at all was kind of surprising. At the end of the first arc, you see her, but they don't actually give her name. So you're thinking it's Jocasta new. It's just not quite clear because of the artwork until you get to the second arc and realize it is Jocasta new. But I'm assuming, I guess, that when Order 66 went down, uh, she had made her weekly Wednesday run to Kroger on senior discount day. And that's why she wasn't there to get killed with everybody else. Because we have no explanation, I don't think, as to why she didn't get killed when Anakin stormed the temple, so she must have just not been there, I would assume. That's that's coming in the next annual. It's going to be a flashback story about how a book was ordered, and she was told, like, she has to come and get it personally, and it's like some rare archive that she has to have for the temple, so she goes off to get it. <laughs> or No, 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 better yet, she busts out her lightsaber and her lightsaber gun and goes hunting down uh, a, an overdue library book. <laughs> this time you'll pay the fee with your life. Or something like that. <laughs> so she could use those uh, lightsaber skills again. But yeah, I thought this was a very strong series, solid artwork pretty much as well. So uh, definitely one that I would recommend. And you don't need to read the original Vader series to get into this new Vader series, thank goodness. Then we had the crossover, The Screaming Citadel, which started in the pages of The Screaming Citadel one-shot and then crossed over into issues of both Star Wars and Dr. Aphra. That entire arc was released this year and also wound up in trade paperback this year. This one I found very Halloween-esque, um, very sort of trying to tell a horror story. It played off of the whole uh, crystal that we saw back in the early Aphra arc and into the Enormous Prophet where she was trying to sell it. And sort of this question of... Uh, the, the selling, I guess, comes later, is this idea of sort of she wants to have it activated, but she needs to go to the queen of the Screaming Citadel in order for it to be activated. The queen has this connection to all these thralls, basically, thanks to these little creatures that can take control of them. And it really just kind of plays out like a horror story. And while it has an impact for Aphra, it hasn't seemed to have as much, if any, impact for the ongoing Star Wars series, as far as ramifications from it. But art-wise, and just the fun ride of it, I thought it was head and shoulders above Vader down, when this story really should be the weaker of the two, because in premise, it's not nearly as holy crap as, look, it's Vader encountering the rebels, including Leia and such, and ending his first part of his hunt for Luke. 
that should have been the more impactful one, and yet Vader Down felt very flat to me, whereas this one was a much more fun ride straight through. Um, I'm kind of hoping that when they do future crossovers, because you know they will, that they will continue this thing of alternating which series they're con- they're connecting with. Granted, d- the regular Darth Vader series was done by the time this crossover took place, so of course it had to be maybe the Afra series, but maybe something where eventually we get sort of the Marvel version of Vector, where we have some series connecting in one era, maybe a, a mini-series, you know, a continuation of maybe Kanan or something taking place in an earlier era, and then maybe connecting with, say, you know, whatever comes to replace the Poe Dameron series in that era to give us that type of connectivity from era to era to era so that we can have even more diverse comics crossing over and yet still maintain the feel of the continuity not being violated to do it. Uh, you say we're just getting into Screaming Citadel, right? Have you? Do you have any initial impressions to share? No, the, the main thing with this is is that connectivity, like you were saying. I love the fact that they're bringing and bridging them over. I think one of the things the saga in general has to worry about right now is that big three angle. You know, I mean, we're, we know Ryan Johnson's going to put out a new trilogy, and we know that Han, Luke, and Leia are probably not going to have anything to do with it. And you think about, you know, the stories and stuff, and and when we're in this era specifically – what makes it Star Wars? Oh, them bumping into Han, Luke, and Leia. I mean, that, that's, that's, it's not Star Wars until they've ran into Han, Luke, and Leia. Like, we've got to do that. We can't use Han, Luke, and Leia because they're bumping into everybody and everyone else's stories because, you know, we've got to bump them into that because it's not Star Wars unless they're in it. So it'll be nice once we get to a point where other characters can be that stay through and be the, the person they come to. And at that point, we can get to that era where we could get a vector story where say Luke is the through point, you know, that each era they run into Luke at some point or, or do something. Granny wouldn't be able to do that with like, say a Kanan story, but they haven't told us that Kanan's alive and say the last Jedi or something where we could make Kanan that, that through thread or chopper. You know, like Chopper be a perfect one. You know, you could have Chopper show up in The Last Jedi as just, you know, some broken down droid in one of the bases. You know, you could have had him in crate, you know, just sitting up there and just collecting dust. And you could have been like, turn him on. And then, bam, you could, you know, the story of Poe could have Chopper in there. And you could tie it back into Kanan. And then po- Chopper could be talking about when Kanan was talking from Rebels in his past with his master and go even farther back. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I love that. And like you said, the fact that the Vader one was canceled, so they picked Afra. I love the fact that they're doing that and the way Marvel's done it when we got to the first crossover it already had felt like these were crossing over and I think that's how Star Wars should be like the, the idea of an actual crossover crossover I don't know if we even need it anymore because of the fact that they're already crossing it over I think like when we make it an official crossover sometimes I think it's going to hamstring the story because when they're doing it the way they did it with the Boba Fett in the beginning and stuff, it happened so natural. It didn't feel forced at all. Whereas when you do the the actual crossover, it does kind of feel cro- forced because they're marketing that crossover. They're not just marketing the two series. They're marketing this one crossover, this special event. And if it's not that special, people aren't going to buy the second special event because they're like, you know, it wasn't that special. The series itself was special enough. Should have stuck with that, that formula. And that is definitely something that they have going for them right now, that interconnectivity. So I, I'm looking forward to getting into this one. No, I haven't actually had a chance to read it yet, but I did see I, when I was looking through the one issue that I had open, uh, it does look creepy at times. So I'm, I'm excited about that. I like some of the creepier stories and comics tends to, you know, you'd think books would be the one that really delivers on the scary type stories, but really they, kind of hesitant to go there in the books i mean we had death troopers and red harvest but that was about it whereas comics kind of they they 
they go into darker territory a lot more often. <laughs> so I got excited about that too. Now, also from Marvel, not really stuff we need to talk about because we've already talked about this material at some point in some previous year in review in most cases. But we did see new trade paperback collections released of the Han Solo miniseries, the Last Flight of the Harbinger arc from Star Wars, and the uh, Darth Vader Volume 2 hardback from the original series. Meanwhile, they were also reprinting some of the early stuff from before Marvel got the license back. So we have the Legends Epic Collections for The Clone Wars Volume 1, the Newspaper Strips Volume 1, not to be confused with another one that I think is better that we'll see here in a little bit from IDW, uh, the Empire Volume 3, the Old Republic Volume 2, the Rebellion Volume 2, the Original Marvel Years of Volume 2, Rise of the Sith of Volume 2, and the New Republic Volume 2. So when it comes to reprinting Legends stories in these larger collected trade paperback forms, uh, they are still putting those out, and they seem to have a nice array of different themes going, so those who really want to pick these up, who maybe haven't seen these stories before, can pick and choose their era, their theme, and then follow that along and get a lot of early Dark Horse stuff, and in some cases early Marvel or early newspaper strip stuff, though not quite the full breadth and scope of those who followed Legends as it was happening. So I, I'm confused about this last flight of the Harbinger here. Uh, you know, I, I was like, wait, what? So I looked it up and it says it's the fifth story arc of Marvel Comics ongoing Star Wars. Yeah, it collects issues 21 through 25. Now, what what is up with this one? Like, is it so is it part of the Star Wars series or is it a separate book or did they just print it separately? Like, no, it's part of the Star Wars series. It's the arc that um, ended out basically last year prior to uh, Yoda's Secret War. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So this is the trade paperback. Yes, okay. yes, right. yeah. It was a, just a collection. Oh, okay. It wasn't an original story or anything like okay. that. Okay. I'm like looking at that cover. Like I'm like, man, that looks sick. Like I gotta check this out. Now this is the we stole the star destroyer. Now what story that we saw recently? Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I like the idea of the fact that they're going back and reprinting these things. Um, you know, Dark Horse did it with some of the old uh, uh, S canon Marvel stories and stuff. So the fact that it's come around again is worth. In fact, uh, I want to say one of these, uh, I believe it's the epic collection of the clone. No, the Old Republic. We're getting for the first time in print that zero of uh, Prelude to Rebellion, the zero issue that was lost online. We have on our Star Wars Beyond the Films uh, Facebook page, we had the entire zero issue in one of our albums because it was just not available anywhere somewhere it, the copies got lost so we had put it out there as just like a hey we got it kind of thing but the fact that it's finally getting put in print like i think that's kind of exciting took took a long time but finally we got there after being told <laughs> it would be impossible now we have yeah. it hmm. <laughs> interesting how that works now for other comics again there are three different publishers beyond marvel that are putting out star wars comics it just depends on what the comic is so Disney Lucasfilm Press has been in charge of reprinting these, I believe, Brazilian adaptations of these Star Wars films. We had a large hardback version of the prequel trilogy released in the last year. Uh, prior to that, we had seen the original trilogy get that type of treatment. And we saw the The Force Awakens graphic novel adaptation in that same line, released in 2017. And we've actually seen Rogue One since then. But the prequel trilogy and The Force Awakens were the highlights for Disney Lucasfilm Press Comics in 2017. And these are, I don't want to say they're kiddie. 
They use a more kid-friendly art style, but they're also fairly true to the films in terms of the choices of dialogue and scene construction and so forth. So in that sense, they're fun adaptations, but unlike, say, the Rogue One adaptation by Marvel, it doesn't add anything to the film experience. But I would say if you're wanting to get a younger reader into the comics for the first time and they dig the movies, these would be a great way to bring them into it which I guess is probably why they're printed under Disney Lucasfilm Press out of all the different options, because Disney Lucasfilm Press does skew a little bit younger in its demographics most of the time for Star Wars stuff. Yeah. Yeah, no, they sent us the original trilogy one. Um, I never got the second one or the third one from them, so I, I'm kind of figuring like it was a one and done. But yeah, that's exactly what I use it for. I, I showed it to Jay. She got a kick out of Gavin. He really liked it. Um, yeah, it's, it's solid for what it is. It's one of those things like you just weigh whether or not you want to have it for your collection. Like I said, they gave me the first one, but I haven't been tempted enough to go out and buy the other two yet. I kind of wish they would have sent me the other ones though, because I would love to have the whole set. Yep. Same thing for me. They sent the original after I believe I had already bought it because that happens a lot with review copies lately. But uh, I would note here that while the prequel trilogy and original trilogy graphic novels from Disney Lucasfilm Press, those are hardbacks. The ones for The Force Awakens and the new one for Rogue One are paperback. And they're kind of a weird shape, too. They're kind of, uh, it's like a, they're trying to make a cross between a larger hardback kind of version, a magazine size version like we got with the uh, prequel and original trilogy ones, but sort of shrink it down so it's a little closer to the size of a comic, but not really. Uh, probably having to do with the dimensions of how they were originally published in Brazil. Well, that's, that seems to be something, too, because like, I, since, since the new canon shift, I don't buy paperbacks anymore. I'm just doing the hardcovers, which is completely opposite what I ever did with Legends. But I believe the paperbacks now aren't the standard mass market paperback. They're more of a premium sort where they're a little bit narrower and a little bit longer than they used to be, which I'm kind of glad I made the switch I did because the new canon books would not fit on my original bookshelf. Like they just would be too tall. And so I, I, it's interesting that they've, decided to do the format change like that yeah the new paperback novels look weird to me um they look like so you you call it sort of a a, a more fancy kind of format or however you worded it it reminds me of how i used to be able to go to i forget which grocery store it was around here and i would just pick up a book because i wanted something new to read this is before i was reading tons of different series and whatnot on my kindle now and i would just pick up a book off the bargain shelf and i would just read it when i could because i'd read them during my uh, planning period when I was running photocopies and stuff like that when I worked in a traditional classroom. And uh, those books tended to be that same weird, narrower and taller format than what we were used to, sort of the pocket paperback type format. So I'm not sure if it's a matter of printing cost or what the deal is. But yeah, they definitely look different. But that's, I guess, sort of a field from this. Then we have IDW who is also putting out Star Wars comics. And they're actually putting out two different lines, but we tend to think of it just as one because one of them gets sort of forgotten in the mix. The one that is more well-known is Star Wars Adventures. And this year, it's sort of a, a younger, skewing set of stories. They are presumably canonical, but they don't really mean much of anything, don't have much impact on much of anything. And... Sometimes they're kind of goofy. Like, I want to know how many different times we're going to see Finn's supposed last mission or or uh, lead-in to Jakku mission, given the fact that the Jakku mission is supposed to be his first real mission. And apparently he has one where he's running around chasing after a 
stupid little creature that accidentally gets on the finalizer. And it's just, it, they're very cutesy, though they all have a backup story. There's always at least two stories in them. They tend to have a backup story called Tales from Wild Space that is featuring the, I can't remember if it's the son or the grandson. I think it's the grandson. It's been a while since I read a new issue where they specified it. But uh, a descendant of the kids that we meet in the Adventures in Wild Space books. So uh, Milo Graff, his, I guess, grandson, is the main character, and Crater, the droid, is actually still in it. And there's a new Kowakian monkey lizard companion and a new droid companion uh, replacing the Kowakian monkey lizard that we got in the books who, you know, would have been too old to still be in the series at that point. And it's set around the time of uh, the sequel trilogy type stuff. So it's, it makes for kind of an interesting read, although very kiddy doesn't really mean a whole lot. It's kind of like reading those old uh, Clone Wars Adventures comics where you knew they weren't going to mean anything, but they were there, so you read them. But we had uh, several of these. We had the Ash Can, which is like a preview issue released of it. We had issues one through five. We had the first attempt to collect them. I believe it was just the first three issues collected called Heroes of the Galaxy. And then we had the one that angered some people because of how hard it is to get without spending out the nose on eBay, which is a story called Destroyer Down, which is actually Destroyer Down is a multi-part story. I think it's two pieces by itself. And then it alludes to a set of past events in a story called Ghost Ship, which is also a couple different parts. And they are in this collected version where it alternates between part one, then the other part one, then part two, then the other part two. But it all winds up being essentially one story that can be read together because it all is meant to reference itself. Uh, I'm assuming that maybe someday we'll see those serialized within the regular Star Wars Adventures series. But this was a special comic with all those parts in it as an original story. A first time you can see a kind of story, maybe the only time for all we know, that was available only through a particular month's loot crate, through the loot crate service, which pissed off a lot of people. Now you can find this issue for anywhere between 20 and 40 bucks on eBay most of the time um, for this one issue. And granted, it's a stronger story than we actually usually see in Star Wars Adventures, which is kind of ironic. But it is kind of a weird one to try to get your hands on at this point. And then I guess the other thing we mentioned for IDW is that we also have the release of the Classic Newspaper Strips Volume 1, which is this nice, big, hardback, collected edition that has the early, like, Russ Manning-era newspaper strips in their original form, all collected with some historical information, which I find is a preferred format for me relative to what we get in the Marvel collected versions, because the Marvel collected versions tend to collect the way that they were later reprinted as classic Star Wars, or classic Star Wars The Early Adventures and stuff like that which means you're not really getting the original presentation, just something close to it, whereas the more expensive one from IDW, I think I think it's more expensive, is a stronger collection of the original for those who are interested in the history of it. Uh, they actually just pushed back Volume 2 um, because of a delay. So IDW is putting out quite a bit of Star Wars stuff right now. Man, I, I hope that that Loot Crate Destroyer Down story gets put out in another way. I mean, like, I like the idea that you're creating something exclusive for people that that are doing the loot crate. I get that. But like we were just mentioning with that prelude to rebellion number zero, where, you know, you couldn't find it anywhere. That's what you don't want. You don't want something so hard to find and so exclusive that it becomes like this Holy grail of, 
of got to find it, you know, like go ahead and let it be an exclusive thing. Let it last for a year or something, but then, you know, then put it out again, which I think that will be the case. I mean, when you look at all the different things, we're getting stuff from the old school Marvel being reprint, old school dark horse being reprint. Like, I, I think it's a matter of time. Uh, but if they don't, like, I think that's just a matter of somebody just didn't know about it. And somewhere along the line, the ball got dropped. Uh, the classic newspaper strips, like, that's not my cup of tea, but I think it's cool that they actually put that out there and, and collected it the way they did. Uh, that's definitely something that sounds like it'd be a fun thing, especially for you. Like, I, when I, as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, that sounds like that's right up Nate's alley. <laughs> and then the last company involved in Star Wars comics this year, we have Joe Books. Joe Books does Cinestory comics, again, sort of like photo comics, where they take images out of some type of video production and turn it into a comic by adding the dialogue with the balloons and everything. And in this case, we got three. We got a rather long, detailed adaptation of A New Hope. We also got adaptations of multiple episodes at a time of the Star Wars Rebels cartoon series in what they refer to at Joe Books as Volume 1, Spark of Rebellion, which is more than just that episode. And Path of the Jedi, also more than just that episode. And of course, coming up in 2018, the next one they've already announced is Maul, which will have many of the Maul episodes all combined into it. I gotta say... These turned out both larger than I expected, which was pretty cool, and a little bit of a disappointment. In that, I do like the photocopies, or photocopies, photo comics from time to time. I liked the ones that Dark Horse did, though I thought they were just kind of there because it's not going to add anything to it. It's literally just adapting the film. And I like the fact that, for instance, with A New Hope here, it's a much longer one because it is a much more detailed way of doing a photocomic than the way that we saw with Dark Horse. But because they are so gigantic uh, in terms of page count, they're also not on the ideal type of paper. They're not on the glossy, nice paper that we see in most comics these days. The paper they're on reminds me much more of the earlier Marvel comics back in the 80s. So while they're nice to have, a lot of times the presentation isn't quite as striking as I would like for something that's basically full of images drawn from high-definition sources. Uh, but if you're into that sort of thing, they're decent, and they're a lot bigger than most people give them credit for. They're a lot thicker, a lot more content than people usually realize. They usually think they're fairly small, like the old Dark Horse ones. But I'm not sure how many people are really going to be all that drawn to these, because they really are just comic adaptations using screenshots. I remember you talking about how big it was. It was a lot bigger than you were expecting. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. <laughs> so... We did last week, or uh, last episode, I should say, we did a top three of 2017 for the novels. So let's cover the books. Uh, for me, I've got, of course, you know, I said it already, the Darth Vader, the Dark Lord of the Sith. I, I really, that one, head and shoulders above the rest for, for how I reacted to it. That one definitely felt like my cup of tea. I really got a kick out of that one. My second one would be Aphra. Uh, and, and Afro would have almost been the front runner if it hadn't been for that whole, uh, uh, Jocasta new arc in the Vader one. I'm really getting a kick out of that. And then for me, it's a tie on the third one. Uh, I went with Captain Phasma as the miniseries. And then I went with the Poe Dameron. Um, I, both of those, I, I think they're both strong, really good series. Uh, Captain Phasma, the only issue there is that it's just short, but then again, so is her role in the saga. So I guess that, that was kind of fitting. <laughs> what about you, Nate? This will be easy this time too, just like last time. Because my answer is pretty much the same. I go back and forth on which one I prefer out of Dr. Afra, or, or sorry, just Afra, I guess, or Dr. Afra. Yeah, Afra was the arc, Dr. Afra's a series. See, you need to stop doing that crap, Marvel. Give them proper titles. Just like Darth Vader's first arc was called Vader. Stop it. 
I'm surprised the first Poe Dameron arc wasn't called Poe or called Dameron. Um, or anyway, so yes, yes, I go back and forth between Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith, or Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith, but we're not going to tell anybody the subtitle on the comic itself, and the Dr. Aphra series on which one would be number one or number two, but they are the top two for me, and then I am kind of torn then, even for number three, just like you were, between either going with the Captain Phasma series or going with the Poe Dameron series. I think... That for what we got just this year, Captain Phasma probably beats out Poe Dameron just barely. But that's probably going to wind up being because we didn't get all of Legend found in this year. If we had, its impact probably would have caused me to go with Poe over Captain Phasma. Uh, but not only the same top two, but the same jockeying for number three. So, so far, yeah, same wavelength pretty much straight through, which again, is kind of surprising. Yeah, I I know. I'm kind of shocked, too. Well, now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher and iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook page at SW Beyond Films, or just type in Stars Beyond the Films in your search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It is literally the best way to interact with us. It is our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars or Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we want to mention you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Report, you get a free trial run of Audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors, they have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanding Universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying, thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that the working story titles for DJ Most Wanted and the Chewbacca miniseries were actually just J and Baka. Chewbacca. <laughs> uh, what if we find out that Chewie's got a sister out there, and like there's a whole other family? And- well, for all we know, maybe that... Maybe her sister showed up in the Chewbacca miniseries because when the Wookiees get together, nobody's talking and we don't know what's going on. True, true. I mean, I, I was just thinking, like, what if we had a whole scenario where Chewie didn't know about his sister and, like, he finds out Mala's his sister and... Yeah, no, no. Or, oh, I guess might be a better answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh...
champion of our multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman. And with me, like the storms of crate, the EU guru himself, the count of our two continuities, Mr. Nathan B. Butler! Hey, everybody. Wait, so that means I'm with you like a story that ignores previous continuity? That's, aren't you with me like the story group? Oh, 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 yeah, I'm, 